Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacic, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me following the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment of interest to the LGBT community. I'm excited to welcome to the show as my guest today, Gerald McCulloch. You'll recognize him from his 10 seasons as Bobby Dawson on the popular TV show CSI, as well as his appearances on TV in the series Bones, NCIS, and House, plus his critically praised portrayal of Roger in the Bear City movie franchise. Thanks to the global and diverse fan bases of CSI and the Bear City movies, he was honored as one of the 100 most compelling people by Out Magazine. He's also been featured in the New York Daily News, the LA Daily News, the New York Post, Us Weekly, and The Advocate. Plus, he's been a contributing writer for TheAdvocate.com. Today, we'll be talking about Gerald's movie, Daddy, for which he served not only as the lead actor, but makes his debut as a feature film director. His journey with Daddy goes all the way back to originating the role of Colin in the New York City world premiere stage production of the play, Off-Broadway. He recreated his acclaimed performance on the West Coast, as well as served as executive producer. And those productions led to the movie, Daddy. Daddy the Movie was featured at several film festivals all around the world, including the World Film Festival in Montreal, Out on Film in Atlanta, the California Independent Film Festival, the Oslo Fusion International Film Festival, the Cleveland International Film Festival, and many, many more. In addition to winning awards along the film festival journey, the critics were very kind. Progressive Pulse described it as wonderful and beautiful performances and impressive directorial debut. Zone Culture said nothing short of miraculous. Credit must be given to the talent of the Via McCulloch team for making one of the most touching, heartwarming, and believable friendships in the history of gay movies. Queertiques said it was excellent, very engaging, and a neat little gem. CIFF said it was funny, erotic, and heart-tugging. Daddy explores what a hot, beautiful mess friendship and loyalty are and how to age gracefully while kicking and screaming. The film reel said it's hard to say that the film is anything but wonderful, outstanding, very powerful, and filled with emotion. A fantastic film. I was very fortunate to get to see the West Coast premiere of the play and then get to see the movie now, and I have to say it's a terrific transfer. Congratulations to the entire creative team. One of the powerful components of this film is the use of music. Musician Corey Tutt contributed several songs to the soundtrack of the film. I want to play a little bit of his song, Everything. And then we'll talk to Gerald McCulloch about the making of Daddy the Movie. Close the door My hands are open I'm letting go Feels like I've been sleeping way too long And all my time has gone But I'm still I got nothing left, but I got it. 
McCullough, how are you as I live and breathe? Hello, Randy, my choice's companion. Randy <laughs> and I know each other from doing a musical many years ago with Natalie Portman called Choices. <laughs> That's why I called you my choice's companion. That's how we now get to introduce it. Is You know, our, our dear friend Jamie Stern told me that, that, you know, we worked with Natalie Portman. And I'm like, it took me like seven seconds it's almost like that moment in The Sixth Sense when you, you see the twist in the movie and suddenly you play the whole movie back in your head until you figure it out. Or maybe like that same moment in Daddy. And I'm going to get to that. See, I already was going to use that. <laughs> exactly. And you, and you suddenly go, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to pick this all up. But, but yeah, the thing with Natalie was Jamie mentioned it, and it took me like seven seconds in my head to go. I pictured Natalie Portman's face, and I suddenly remembered her as like an 11-year-old in Choices with us, <laughs> being a three-legged droll, tap-dancing droll, yes. which was a creature in this far-off land where you were tortured for not being able to make choices. Anyway, it was an absolutely awesome adventure, though, with you and Jamie and Andrea Great, great people, yeah. great people. And uh, it was a terrible show, but we sure had a lot of fun times <laughs> trying to and make it And here we are on the phone all those years later. Isn't that fabulous? And we are talking about your fantastic movie, Daddy, which I loved. Um, and, you know, I have to – And what's so cool mm-hmm, – Go so ahead. Cool, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but what's so cool, what I loved about you getting to see the movie was that you saw – you and Jameson and I had our reunion in a – in L.A. when you came to see the L.A. production of the play. The great thing for me in watching the movie was that I, I, I saw the film in L.A. I saw you in it. I should, I should back up and say that you created the role of Colin in the world premiere of the play in New York. You took it to the West Coast to L.A. And then after that experience with both productions, you became the executive director and the director and the star of the movie, Daddy. And I loved the play from the get-go. It, it was You were excellent with it. Everybody was terrific. And then there is this twist that we shall not speak of because if anyone hasn't seen the movie yet, and why haven't you, it's <laughs> awesome that we have – it is a sixth sense kind of a moment where when this thing is revealed, everybody in the audience suddenly starts thinking back, oh, let's think about them now as a different thing or maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess say that was – that's been the coolest thing. You know, so much of – the world of making an independent movie is that, you know, you know, everyone thinks the drama and the, the stressful part is getting the movie made, which it certainly is. But then once the movie is made, you know, it's uh, the movie kind of finds its voice and finds its audience through the worldwide film festival circuit. We premiered uh, the Montreal World Film Festival is one of the very snazzy A-list film festivals yes. around the world. And we premiered there last year, last uh, August, 30th. August. Yeah, look at you doing your homework, and I have I have been traveling around the world with it ever ever since, pretty much. And back to kind of what you were saying, the coolest thing is yes, it does have an unexpected uh, chain of events and a turn. And what's been so great is I find so much of the movie, so much of the first act and the first maybe half of the movie, a, a really fun, romantic ish romp comedy you know there's a lot of good and seeing it sitting around in theaters and worldwide as i travel seeing hearing and seeing audiences just react to a story you know and hearing the laughter and and then when it makes that turn just feeling that palpable change in the audience has been so rewarding it's been really cool how these you know this huge roar of laughter really changes 
and it's as a filmmaker, it's been such a great experience to to experience that. You know, from small cities in a, throughout America to big cities to you know over in Europe and Oslo and. Well, I was going to say, let's run down some of these because when you say around the world, you aren't kidding. You went from the Montreal World Film Festival to the California Independent Film Festival in San Francisco to Oslo. You went to directly, Adon- directly, directly, directly. Uh, <laughs> when it premiered in Montreal. And it was, you know, it was kind of wild because we got the film seemed to have gotten much more response from a lot of the larger, more prestigious, non-gay specific film festivals mm-hmm. um, than it did the gay film festivals. So it was really rewarding that it was kind of a crossover film. Um, but because it didn't play a lot of the gay film festivals, it wasn't the typical journey of a filmmaker. You know, I've been doing some films, uh, you know, for a while now that are, I guess, categorized as gay films. And, uh, you know, just like I'm doing Bear City 3 now, you know, and there's certain festivals you travel to often. And that's great. I love it. But the, the joy about Daddy is that I got to travel to so many places and film festivals that I hadn't been to before because they weren't kind of the run of the mill um, LGBT festival. So yes, yeah, so we premiered in Montreal, and from there I flew directly to San Francisco. We got to screen at the Castro, which was amazing. But we screened part of the California Independent Film Festival, which is not an LGBT specific festival. And from there I flew to Oslo, which was awesome. I've been to Oslo three times now with three different films, and it's always great to go back there. I love that city, and I, I love that festival, and. And from there, I went to Berlin, and then I flew to New York. I was picked up in the airport, and I was driven to Pennsylvania, where I started shooting Bear City 3 four hours later. <laughs> and then wow. I, shot Bear, I shot Bear City 3 for eight days with one day off. And on that eighth day, I was driven to JFK to fly out to fly to Atlanta, where Daddy screened the next night. And then I went through your travels, and oddly enough, Daddy, I mean, excuse me, Bear City 3 just screened in Atlanta in the same theater where Daddy screened exactly a year to the day after Daddy screened. Isn't that funny? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's awesome. They they really know you at these places, these film festivals. You've been (laughs) waiting. And yes, they do. I, I also noticed that you went to the Kino International Film Festival uh, in Berlin. You, the idea of you in Berlin sounds dangerous to me. I'm just going to say it out loud. What was great, and back to our history, the last time I was in Berlin, and just like this weird daddy in Bear City 3, the last time I was in Berlin was many years ago. I, maybe just after we met or just before we met, I played Jesus Superstar. in the European tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. And... The theater where Daddy screened in Berlin was, I, I want to say across the street, but it was across the street and down the way mm-hmm. from the theater where I played like, Jesus X amount of years so earlier. It just, cra- it was crazy. It was just crazy. So yeah, we, you know, luckily um, my film agents, sales agents had a rough, they screened my rough cut at Berlin Alley the, the year that we premiered in Montreal. So we started selling rather Quickly, I guess. We started selling really before we even started playing film festivals, which was a good thing and a bad thing because it also limited the amount of festivals we would, we would play because the film had already sold. But um, that keynote screening in Germany was actually part of our German release. 
Ah. So it wasn't really a festival. Hmm. Um, yeah, we sold to Germany. We sold to the UK, to France, the Netherlands. Uh, we just sold to Australia. We sold to Taiwan. So a lot of those territories, maybe in your homework, you saw a lot of screenings that yeah. I didn't go to because they were they were part of the theatrical release. And and we also sold in the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, so it's it's just like I said, the film festivals keep you going for a while. Mm-hmm. Then once you get distribution, then those. There's a whole other wave of premieres and you and and also interviews and press. And, yeah, and, yeah, and you know as I said, so as I began my daddy journey of traveling the movie with daddy, my movie, you know I had just filmed Bear City Three, and the daddy screening is pretty much wrapped up in June in Greece. Mm-hmm. Daddy screened in Athens, and then I stayed in Greece for about a month and a half, kind of wrapping up my travels, and mm-hmm. and that was amazing, and then. Right when I got back, I started travels with Bear City 3. I flew to L.A. for the L.A. premiere, and oddly enough, you know, as I said, we just premiered here in Atlanta. And tomorrow I fly to Seattle for the Seattle screening of Bear City 3, and then I go to Montreal. And I think there was a point to that story, and I lost it. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask, so, so you literally, like, cycled right through the making of Daddy into the film festival section of Daddy, into the premieres of Daddy, then you head into Bear City 3. Uh, how far away is it that the public will, unless we attend a film festival, how far away is it that it'll be that we get to see Bear City 3? Comparing Bear City 3 to Daddy, you know, I think that Daddy was more readily accessible you know, via iTunes and Amazon mm-hmm. you know, in not only the U.S. Canada but the other territories is because we sold earlier. I'm not sure when or if Bear City 3 will sell, so... Films, independent films usually play the festival circuit for about a year. Right. And after that year, they either goes, you know, they self-distribute through their DVDs like Bear City 2 has done um, and through their websites. Or that's when they, you know, in one of those big festivals, they'll get bought and then they'll be released later on. Uh, So I'm not sure what the future is of Bear City 3 because it's just really just started the film festival circuit. But it has such a worldwide following that it's playing in you know almost every film festival you know last weekend it was in dublin as i said i'm going to seattle it'll be in montreal it was in rochester it was in atlanta it was in la san francisco and it'll con- i think it'll continue that you know worldwide circuit and i imagine it'll be available you know i know the bear city one is available on netflix now yes but i know that it takes a few years for a film to get to netflix i I think that Daddy is first playing Logo, and then we're going to Netflix. But I'm not sure how long it'll take for Bear City 3 to be available to a wider audience. You know, but it will, as I said, pretty much travel to all these film festivals around the world. So hopefully it'll hit everybody at some point. Now, you mentioned being either selling the movie or, or when it gets released to iTunes and things. Here's a question I, I don't know the answer to. To get to iTunes even, for instance, if, if you're in a film that doesn't get a distributor, let's say, does the independent film production company just submit it to iTunes themselves, or do you, sub, do you get there somehow? I know Breaking Glass, who released Daddy, does a lot of LGBT movies, a lot of movies, period, and so I know that's how they got there. But if you don't get a – if a movie doesn't get a distributor – You know, I, I don't know. You know, I assume there are other – other avenues that people can just submit it themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Luckily, with all my independent films, you know, I've they've either sold or, or they've already been repped when I participated in them or when I hopped on board to do the press tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 
and even and luckily as a filmmaker that's something i didn't have to deal with you know because actually breaking glass attended the berlin la sneak sneak preview screening of my movie way before we sold it to them so they were one of our first interested parties so really right out of the gate even before the movie was done we already had interest in various various territories and U.S. distribution, which was a huge weight off my shoulders, but also allowed me to skirt around that issue of, oh, shoot, if we don't get distribution, what do we do? So I don't have an answer to that. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a way to go directly to iTunes, but I just don't know what it is. And I imagine now with, with there being so much content worldwide that – they probably do have parameters. Maybe they do only accept things that have been sold or that are pitched to them from distributors. I, I don't know. I mean, I know they don't accept everything because I know that when Daddy had kind of wrapped up, so Daddy had its theatrical release in LA in uh, April or May. And then we had thought we would go straight to iTunes. But what happened is that, which was an amazing thing for the film, is that every major U.S. cable provider and company opted to program Daddy on demand. So Daddy was available exclusively on demand first for its first distribution window, which our distributors were really happy. I was really happy because that doesn't usually happen with independence, usually happen with independence, and especially doesn't happen with LGBT, quote unquote, LGBT themed movies. So they were, that was a, a huge accomplishment and a huge win for the movie that for our first kind of leg of distribution was that we were available on every U.S. and Canadian cable provider through On Demand. And it was it was a huge win for us. So that was that was great. And because of that, it allowed things like Amazon and iTunes and, you know, I think Logos Next and then hopefully Amazon. I mean, then hopefully Netflix. It, it just was a nice um, threshold introduction into into those avenues because distribution now, especially with indies, is so different. You know, people just don't go see independent movies in in theaters anymore. They do see independent movies at film festivals. And so the distribution landscape for independent movies and even for some studio movies is now very different than it used to be. You know, on demand through cable providers is kind of like the quote unquote new theatrical release because that's when you can get the most eyeballs on your film the quickest. It's challenging to get all the major cable providers to program a lot of independent independent movies. So when they do opt to grab one, it's a huge win. And although it kind of cut out me going to a lot of different premieres and red carpets, it was certainly the avenue that we thought was best to bring the audience to the widest, bring the movie to the widest audience possible, as quickly as possible. You mentioned all these different avenues, and I have to say, you mentioned Netflix earlier. I really am impressed with what Netflix does. I, I'm a huge Netflix fan at this point because I don't like sitting, sometimes I feel trapped by a movie. I have a short attention span and I feel like it's a commitment to like sit down and watch a movie for two hours, unless it's something I'm dying to see, which I was dying to see Daddy. But I love Netflix. I'll say this, and I have watched more movies because of Netflix because one, especially for the LGBT market, they have literally a section of LGBT yeah, movies. Uh -huh. And I'll say this, one of the great things about Daddy, and I'm not, I'm not lying, to, I'm not saying this because I'm on the phone with you, Daddy is a terrific film in and of itself. It's a terrific LGBT film because of its content. And I, want, I say that out loud because 
One of the interesting things about watching films on Netflix is I've caught up with several films that have been pitched to me on The Randy Report over the years, and people have sent me DVDs, and I sometimes don't have time to watch all these things, and people send me press releases about this movie and that movie and this movie. And with Netflix, I've actually caught up with a lot of these movies, and I can say there's some great stuff out there, but there's also, pardon my language, it's, there's a lot of crap, too. I hate to say it. But it's like watching the, the opening round of figure skaters at the Olympics is the way I look at it. <laughs> and do you know where I'm going with this? Because like when most people watch the Olympics or they watch films like when, when the Oscars roll around. So they, uh, they see all of the nominated films for the Oscars. And you think every film ever made is really good because you only watch the ones that are nominated for the Oscar. Like the athletes at, at, in figure skating at the Olympics – if you just watch the finals, the gold medal round of figure skating in the Olympics, you see, you know, the top six in the world. If one or two people fall, you go, oh, that's such a heartbreaker. But if you watch the opening round when like 36 figure skaters, the top 36 figure skaters, I hate to break it to people and, you know, no knock to anyone. But, you know, number 35 and 36, they kind of fall a lot sometimes. I don't mean to. Right. You know, and, and, <laughs> not purposely. Not purposely, but, you know, they go for it. God bless them. But, but everybody isn't a gold medal contender in the Olympics in that round. And the same way, I, I'm applying the analogy to a lot of filmmakers out there. Now, I applaud filmmakers for trying to do their thing, get their vision out there. But when you start watching some of these things, you know, there's – especially with LGBT films because it's a lot of emerging filmmakers, a lot of – you know, it's all indie, indie stuff pretty much. Um, right. There's not a, a – a lot of it isn't so great, but a lot of it is. Daddy's one of the great ones, and it really stands out when you when you have a perspective of of a lot of LGBT films. And so I have to tell well, you, I appreciate I, I, you saying that. You got awesome reviews for for Daddy, and and we know that. I've mentioned them before uh, in introducing this interview. They were well deserved. This is a well done movie. Now, this isn't your directorial debut, though, is it? Or is it? It's my feature film directorial debut. I've, I've directed shorts before, That's it. and I've uh, executive produced movies. So I, I call myself more of a filmmaker than a director. Yeah, and so Daddy was the first feature film that I directed. You know, with my 10 years on CSI and with the various TV shows I've done and all the independent movies I've been doing for the last decade, you know, I consider myself more of a filmmaker than just a director. But yeah, Daddy was my first feature film that I directed. But, you know, so much of that was me bringing in what I learned you know, through CSI, through film school, through co-exec producing Bear City 2, through doing the other movies I've done. You know, so although, yes, it's my feature film directorial debut, I've certainly had, you know, more experiences kind of creating film and creating, you know, bringing stories from the page onto a, a filmed perspective. And, you know, the experience shows. It, it really does. One of the things that I described it when I reviewed uh, the film for The Randy Report was I just feel like it's very tight. I felt like there wasn't a lot of extraneous. I, I never felt like there, there wasn't a lot of extra stuff that we didn't need. You, you, we were, you were telling the story w without embellishing, without being, without kind of languishing in a moment longer than it should have. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, though, as I say that, I should mention I love that the film is out and we can see it, but you can also get the DVD, and people need to get the DVD because you get extras. And 
one of the interesting things when you get these DVDs and you delve in the extras, there are a lot of extras on the DVD because we have your director commentary with the movie, which is always fascinating to hear the director talk about, oh, when we did this shot and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you're laughing, you're giggling, you make fun of yourself. Um, but you also have, <laughs> you know, there's an interview with Dan Villa, who is the playwright and, and wrote the screenplay for the movie. There's interviews with Corey Tutt, who tells the story behind the music in the movie and talks about his songs, the soundtrack, Hangman. Yeah, the soundtrack. And then there's also a feature with Rob Goki about the score. The score, yeah. We've got a few cut scenes and we have a few... Yeah, I'm re- I, I love the DVD extras. You know, for me, when I before I made my first film, which was a short, I had gone to AFI for some, you know, night classes. And at the time, I think that was before CSI. I think I was on Melrose Place during this time. I'm not sure. But it's kind of when I started, started realizing, like, I, I want to be more than just an actor. I want to whether it's producing or directing, I, I want to have a, an art, art, some artistic control over how the stories are getting told. So one way that I really, before I started making my first um, short film, which was called The Moment After, I really put myself through film school by listening to director's commentaries on DVDs and watching the extras. It's such a great way to hear you know, your favorite directors talk about a movie. And, you know, especially I would have my earphones in and it's like they're sitting next to you, you know, walking you through the movie and why they made it that way. Oh, that's so because, interesting. That's a great approach. I love that. And it was because it was such a, had such a huge impact on me. I can still list the directors that I listened to, independent and not. You know, I will forever remember what I learned from a lot of these directors. And it was like they were sitting with me. So for me to get the opportunity to do a director's commentary with Daddy you know, movie that had been in my life for so long from the New York stage production, to the LA stage production to the film pre-production, production, post, all that stuff. I really wanted to, to create or to record like a, a really strong commentary. And I wanted to provide some, you know, some extras that really made the package a very good package because I learned so much from DVD extras and from hearing commentaries, but I really wanted to have responsibility for that and have respect for whomever did get a DVD and choose to watch the extras and choose to listen to the director's commentary because I wanted it to be something of content for them that wasn't just in the movie, but that provided you know insight into things that maybe they wouldn't think about, you know. And so, therefore, for me. Music is a huge, as you know, you and I are both musical people, music is a huge aspect of the storytelling to me. So I wanted, you know, it was very important that I had my composer who did the score, which is kind of all the music you hear under a scene and in between scenes. And, and then another aspect of the music of my film, and in this way I kind of call it a film with music, is that I wanted there to be one musical voice to the movie. And I wanted that musical voice to be male, and I wanted the songs to kind of mirror the protagonist's journey. So luckily I found an amazing musician out of New York City who I've known for years named Corey Tutt, and he allowed me to access his whole music library. So I got to pull songs from his six different CDs and pull the parts of the songs that I thought matched this part of the movie, or maybe when Colin's driving in his car here, maybe he's listening to this song, and that kind of you know, mirrors where Colin is in, in his life at this point of the movie. And then, and so I, I felt like it was a, it was a wonderful playground for me musically to play with, you know, and to bring kind of a musical voice to daddy that was really important to me. And so, and so therefore I did want that stuff in the DVDs. You, you do get a sense of consistency, for instance, with Corey Tut's music, 
there is that through line that it is the same voice and there is that same artistry and artist bringing that music through the whole thing. I also love that in the the story behind the music with Corey, we do get a little cameo of you singing with him, which is fun. That happened so spontaneously. So as we were, you know, I was in Corey's studio and I was like, hey, I, I want to do a DVD extra about the soundtrack and about you as a musician and our history and why I picked the songs I picked, et cetera, et cetera. And actually the, the first song of Corey's, when it kind of clicked for me, like, I know what I want to do. I want there to be one musical. I kind of told Corey that I wanted him to be the Amy Mann. Yes. Because <laughs> in, in Magnolia, Amy Mann does most all the music. And I've always loved that aspect of that film. And I love that film. And so I, I, I had also met with a few female artists and pitched them this idea. But then when I pitched Corey the idea, and he was like, oh, we can access my whole library. And I was like, you know, I, I like that. And I like the fact that you're a male musician. And I, I really thought that that would mirror Colin, the protagonist and daddy, who I play, I thought that that would be very smart to give it one consistent male voice. And so the first song that Corey kind of pitched to me, which is there's a song that you hear in the movie when things kind of all go bad and you hear, I don't want to give it away, but the song that you hear in the middle of the movie was going to be a different song. And that was the first song that Corey played that I was like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That'll, yeah. And, and that was kind of the seed that began the whole thing. And oddly enough, that song that started the whole ball rolling got taken out, and that's when Hangman got put in, which Hangman I, is such a great song. Yeah. Isn't that a great song? Oh, yeah. It fits the movie so well, and, and and I love everything. I love the song at the end of the movie called Everything. You know, I think that, which was not written for the movie, but it sounds like it was written exactly for the movie. It just it fits it so well. I, I think all of Corey's music does, and I think the aspects of the songs that we bring in when we bring them in kind of makes – the film unique in a way that is maybe unexpected. I agree. It, it, it's, it's its own component that really fleshes out. I don't want to say the background, but the, a lot of the underlying emotion for the film. And, and because it is the same musical voice, I think it's, it's terrific. I really do. But so when I was recording that DVD extra with Corey, you know, and because there was that initial song called Goodbye, I believe, that I had listened to so much thinking that was going to be the quote-unquote theme song of the movie, I knew it so well. I'd been listening to it every day during, you know, filming and post, and and then that song got replaced with Hangman. But then when Corey and I were, were recording that DVD extra, he started playing Goodbye. And like, yeah, the song that was in the movie was almost this one. And he started playing it. And I was like, oh, my God, I heard that in forever. And then he stopped playing it. And I just started singing off camera, not thinking I'd keep it in there. Yep. And then we played through the whole song as a duet. Neither of us have ever sung before together or had done that. So that is um, a complete spontaneous moment that makes me so happy that that got caught on film. Oh, it's, it's one I've of known my Corey for many things. years. It's, uh, we had just had a riot. It was completely unplanned and unexpected. Uh, and I love that that got captured. Speaking of things, though, that got cut, because one of the other things we get are some cut scenes, some cut moments. And what I found fascinating about this section of the bonuses, some of the things that get cut that you point out, there's a dolly shot that you really loved, uh, but you said it just didn't oh. work with the editing. Yeah. And from my eye, I sat there going, well, I think it, it, it's a great looking shot. Why didn't that work? I didn't, I didn't know it. There was a moment at the, I think at the end of the film, where there was physicality between yeah, you between and, uh, and Stu. Stu. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it was just a moment, and you took that out because you said it just didn't feel right for – the physicality didn't feel right. That I think you lean on his shoulder. Yeah, well, and that's what we did in the play. 
you know, if you notice in the film, there's a lot of mirrors. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in my DVD, you know, in my director's commentary. And I feel like the two, you know, that Stu and Colin, the two friends that the movie is kind of centered around, I feel like they're mirrors to each other. And I also feel like Colin, you know, who's very self-involved, is kind of living in a mirrored reality as opposed to his real reality. So I wanted a lot of mirrors throughout the movie. And I also did that by blocking similar scenes, you know, whether they're in the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, I wanted people to be mirrors in the movie as well, if that makes any sense. So often you'll see in the beginning of the movie, you will see Stu and Colin on that couch together. And then you see that same visual at the end of the movie. And which is, where the movie, which is where the play ended and the play ended with some physical contact with just being friends, crying on each other's shoulders. Uh, and that's the way, that's the way I directed the ending of the movie. But after we watched the movie, I realized that kind of clouded their relationship a little bit. And I, I, I didn't want to do that. The play ended with leaving their relationship kind of open-ended, but the movie ends with it being a fact that these guys are friends and that friends can form their own family in their own way. And, Dan and I didn't want to cloud that with hinting to anybody that, oh, and maybe they'll be lovers. We want to make a statement like friends are family, and that's a very strong family unit. And I felt like there being physical contact, you know, I, and you'll see me at DB Extra, I end up crying on Dan's, on Stu's shoulder. And I thought seeing that muddied the waters of understanding that these two guys are friends. And so I decided to go to an exterior shot and just watch the sunset above, you know, the L.A. bungalow while they had that conversation inside, mm-hmm. quote unquote, off camera. I, I love that we get those things. I really do, because that, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, you know, I never know if the thoughts are right. You know, there's that scene that I cut with Tamlin, Tamita and, and me to give some more, I guess, to articulate that time has passed between what we just saw and what we're about to see. Right. And I pulled that out because I just wanted to move the story forward. And a few people that have bought the DVD that send me, you know, messages on Facebook or whatever have said like, oh, I wish that scene would have stayed in or, oh, I wish you would have, you know, kept the ending the way you initially planned it. You know, but also with independent movies, it's not just me. Even on the director, I don't get to make all the calls. It's kind of, a, you know, there's an editor, there's Dan, there's producers, there's writers, and everyone kind of gets to have a say. So sometimes, even though I may have wanted something, you know, I sometimes I didn't win the argument. Right. And you got to let that go. You got to choose the battles to fight. And in the end, I feel like the film that is now available, that you know, the film as it stands now, is what I want it to be. And luckily, with the asset of DVD extras, I get to include the things that that maybe I missed in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, or that I the the arguments I didn't win. I get to say, and by the way, this is what you know. The initial attention was, although, you know, it didn't happen. Especially for people who like film a lot. Just like you went back and listened to uh, director commentaries of, of on DVDs of films that you admired. I think people who are fans of film, who see a film that they like, to go back and understand why you did something or why you didn't do something or why you had something and decided to take it out, I think that's all very... It's fun for the audience to go, oh, I can see that, or, oh, I liked it that way. Or, you know, people, you almost get the feeling as the viewer 
in your mind that you're voting on it yourself. Like you had to say, like, oh, well, I would have left that in. I think that's really sweet. Or, oh, no, he was right. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, yeah I, like, I, like, I like you saying that. Yeah, and, and I agree. And it just becomes more, I think, you know, our culture now with social media, everyone wants to have a way of feeling involved. And I feel like sometimes strong DVD extras open up that opportunity for people. You know, not all DVD extras are, are great. You know, I've no. certainly watched many great movies that have bad DVD extras. I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. Right. But the ones that are rich, that are rich in content, that are rich in separate content than what you see in the movie, I find it really rewarding. And it is like you get to participate in the movie making. You get to kind of go along with the journey. And that was important to me when we got the opportunity to make a DVD and to make DVD extras. You know, I wanted it to be like, okay, I now have you know, the opportunity to do what inspired me for throughout Sony movies. Let me try to do that for someone else. So I appreciate you checking out the extras because I know that they take time and I know it's a pain in the butt, but I really appreciate you doing that. And I'm so glad you're happy with them. Oh yeah. There's a, and there's a lot, there's the cutscenes. there's, there's a photo gallery. We get the official movie trailer. We get the Kickstarter video that goes back to the beginning when you're raising funds for it. Yes. So there's a lot. I think, I think a lot of people with, with, they buy the DVD, really get a lot of bonuses that if you're a fan of film, you, you really get something out of this. So I think it's terrific. I really do. I encourage everyone to get the DVD. It's more fun. Well, I like you encouraging that. I like that a lot. And it's available on Amazon. It is available. Now, you know, one thing, I'm curious, this is something I don't know. You know, I, I do my homework on so many things, but I think I've heard this before and I don't know the answer for sure. On iTunes, if you buy, if you buy the film, not rent it, if you buy it on iTunes, do you get the bonuses? No. No, no you, you don't. just get to watch the movie more than once. You don't get the extras. The DVD extras only come with the purchase of a DVD. Or I'm, I'm sure they'll be streaming. I'm sure that someone's going to pirate them and lift them online. You know, I'm oh, sure yeah, they'll be available somewhere. That. Yeah. It's just the physical DVD where you get that. Yeah, which I which I, I like. You know, I like that it makes buying the buying of the DVD, it makes it its own special, you know, kind of aspect of the movie you know you get you get a special experience with dvds that you don't get through streaming or watching on netflix or and i i hope that that stays i hope that that continues to kind of support the life of dvds because i i'm i've always gravitated towards dvds because of their extras you know i think that it makes it a viable entity for an income stream through all movies Absolutely. And, and going back to just the idea of you learning something from a director's commentary and different bonuses, l listening to bonuses on DVDs, as a filmmaker, learning to learn about making a film yourself that way. I think that's an awfully impressive thing because a lot of people don't – I think you, people should go to film school and learn things from a class, and there's a lot to be learned, obviously. But I think practical experience, listening to people who are actually doing it, using those commentaries as a classroom in and of themselves – is awfully interesting to me. I love the idea, just listening to you talk about the mirrors throughout the film, mirroring the beginning with the end. When you start to hear those things as an artist, as a creative person, you go back and you go, well, isn't he smart? Look at that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to mirror something. I'm going to put mirrors in a play now. I'm going to start out a play and end it the same way now. I'm going to be like Gerald McCullough. Well, it's been happening throughout history. Everyone's always been stealing or borrowing from each other. 
all artists of all sorts. So if people steal some of my ideas, I don't mind at all. <laughs> I guarantee you someone's going to learn something from that just by listening to your commentary. So I think that's awesome. Now, real quick, I, I, I'm not going to take up more of your time, but I know I want to point the fans. Uh, where is the best place to get information on Daddy the Movie right now? Is, is the, what is the website? Well, there's a daddythemovie.com is the website. It's distributed in the U.S. and Canada by Breaking Glass. It's available on Amazon and iTunes. It has a Facebook page, which is Daddy the Movie. And I think probably almost the Facebook page is almost as up-to-date as the website. And how about Bear City 3? Where can people follow the journey of Bear City 3 until we get to... Again, you know, Bear City has a huge following, and it's got... Facebook pages and websites, you know, all around Bear City. There's Bear City, there's Bear City 2. And I think Bear City 3 is, a, info, info on that is available through both of those websites and through both of those Facebook pages. Because I want to make sure if it's at a film festival near me, I want to go. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, and I know that Vegas does have a festival coming up. I don't know if Bear City 3 is playing there. Um, but if it is, and especially if I'm flying there, you and I are going to watch it together. Yes, we are. That's right. <laughs> but then, you know, my my website is gerald.biz, and I've got a Facebook page, Gerald McCulloch, and I spread the news of anything I'm in. So, And I have another movie coming up called The Dark Right, where I play, play Eden Boland's dad. That's a horror movie coming out. So that'll be out, I think, in a few months. So I'll be mentioning that, too. And, you know, I'll, I blab a lot on the book faces. So... <laughs> That's probably a good place to go. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gerald, for chatting. Thank you for sharing. I love all of this. I'm, I, I am so impressed with the journey that Daddy the movie took because I did get to see the play, which I loved. And so congratulations on all this. You Your support is so awesome. I love that we've known each other for all these years and that our careers keep bringing us back together again. I yeah. think it's great. I love that you saw the play in LA. I love that that was our union with Jameson. I love that you loved the movie. I'm very thankful that you got the DVD and you watched all the extras and that you wanted to talk about them. It's, it's, it's a real privilege. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your unending support. You've always been so good to me. And it's, and the fact that we're friends, it's just a, been a really great journey. So thank you. Well, you know, I, I, I say this often, like interviewing you is like Christmas to me because you are the best interview. You bring all of this information. <laughs> you are not shy. You laugh at I everything. No, I mean I don't it. Know like, about interviewing that. you is Christmas. Like I was counting down the minutes today, getting ready to dial. I'm like pouring myself a glass of wine. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be girl time. Oh, Woo. I didn't wait. That's unfair. Well, you had a glass of wine during this? <laughs> I did not have a glass of wine during this. Oh yes, oh, absolutely. Well, oh, well listen, well. listen, congratulations. And we have to catch up on the next project too but i'll be following you so i'll know when it happens you're awesome you're awesome pal listen congratulations and uh, i'll see you soon i hope sounds great i look forward to that bye pal okay bye and that brings me to the end of this episode of the randy report remember you can find more information about daddy the movie at daddythemovie.com and you can follow gerald mccullough at gerald that's with a hard g gerald.biz Thanks again for listening, and remember, you can find me online every single day at therandyreport.com, where I follow the daily news cycle in regards to pop culture, politics, and entertainment of interest to the LGBT community. Thanks a lot for listening, and here's a little bit more of Corey Tut's song, Everything. Have a great week, everyone. I got